Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 78th program in this series. In this program, I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and I'm going to be spending some time between verses 13 and 14 when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he encouraged them to ask things of God. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. This is after the Last Supper. And this conversation is in two major parts. We have the first part where Jesus is with his disciples in the place where they had the Passover meal. This is John chapter 14. And at the end of John chapter 14, he said, Arise, let us go from here. And so in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, he continues the conversation But he continues this conversation either while he's walking with them or when they get to another place or maybe a few other places. We don't have enough information to know exactly when this conversation continues between John chapter 15 and John chapter 16. But what we can tell is that this conversation begins while he is at the place where he has the Passover meal with them and that the conversation that follows is a continuation But it's also a repetition. It's a repetition with more details. So in this conversation in John chapter 14, we have an introduction to what he is going to say in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, but with more detail. There are several themes that he presents in this conversation that are obviously important. And the reason why I would say that these themes are important is because he repeats them several times. What I believe is the most important theme is the theme of the restoration of the Holy Spirit, that he is going to give them the Holy Spirit. And we know that this is of great importance because this is salvation, being made alive, being made into a new creation in Christ Jesus is salvation. So this, of course, is very important. But the second theme that he spends a lot of time speaking about is asking things of God. And in these two verses where I'm at right now, John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, is the introduction to this, that we are to ask of God. But then we're going to see that he repeats this again In several places in the next two chapters, you have John chapter 15, verse 7, John 15, verse 16, and then also again in John chapter 16, verses 23 to 27. And there were times previously when he mentioned this to the disciples. And so this is not really a new thing, the idea of asking things of God, and God will do whatever they ask. This is not a new subject, but here we have more of an opportunity to understand why he would be making this offer to them, 
that if they ask, then God will respond. Now, something that we definitely need to be careful of is we don't want to look at just one verse in this context and say, well, this is it. This is what Jesus said. This is what we are to do. And Jesus and God will respond in the way that we think that they should respond. That's not necessarily going to be the case. That is not just a matter of what he says in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. It's a matter of all that he has said when he says these things. When he says, ask and God will give, ask and God will do. Now, what most people will do is they will look at these passages and they will say, okay, well, here is the formula that we are to follow. This is the procedure that we are to follow. And if we follow this procedure, if we meet this criteria, then God will answer our prayers. Then he will do the things that we ask him to do. And what tends to be the focus that people have when it comes to this subject, what tends to be the focus is that people are looking for God to perform a miracle, for God to do a work. And it's reasonable to consider that because if you look at things like verse 12, which I mentioned in the previous program, John chapter 14, verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And this will become the emphasis, is that, well, we want to see works of God and greater works of God. We want to be a part of this. And that will become the conclusion or the way that we measure the quality of the relationship that we have with God, We will use the miracles, the signs, the wonders. We will use these things as the objective, as the goal, as the reason why we are a Christian at all. These are some examples as to what may motivate people. But what I want to say just right away is I want to say that the greater objective in this relational experience of us asking things of God and him doing things for us The real objective is that we may know our God, we may know him more, that this is the primary objective. And this is expressed by saying that God is going to be glorified, that this may be for the glory of God. But this glorification of God is just a complex way of saying, it's a fancy way of saying that God may be known, that he may be known more. And it's easy for people to forget this or ignore this or lose sight of this, that the real objective that God has is that we will know him personally. And so we really need to keep this in mind because there can be a lot of opportunities for him not to be known or for him to perhaps be known in a way that he doesn't want to be known. There can be a distortion If he responds and does whatever we ask, well, there may be some false theology that could be developed from that, or we may have a false perception of our God. We may believe in a God that really isn't him. In other words, there could be consequences related to his response, negative consequences. If he answers the prayers If he does what we ask him to do, there could very well be 
negative consequences. Consequences that are contrary to the real objectives and the real goals of God, and I think that this is important to keep in mind, and will also help us to understand why most of our prayers are not being answered, why in general He will not do whatever we ask Him to do. Because if you haven't noticed, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try to ask Him anything, ask Him to do. Whatever you want him to do, and you'll probably discover that he's not going to do that, or that he won't do that, or that he does not do that. Again, in verse thirteen, in John chapter fourteen, verse thirteen, Jesus said, "And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do." But if you give it a try, you know, whatever you ask in His name, just say you're doing this in His name. If you do that, then He will do. But then He doesn't do. Again, in verse fourteen, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then you find out that he doesn't. So obviously, there's a lot more to it than just what he said here. We have to consider all that he has said, and we need to keep in mind what are God's objectives. So, what is it that people will tend to do? What people will tend to do when they discover that God just doesn't do whatever they ask. What they tend to do is they go back to this subject, and they try to determine what is the criteria. There must be some criteria. There must be something that we are to follow, something that we are to do. Obviously, we have failed in some respect, and so if we are to get whatever we want, if we are to have God do whatever we ask. Well, then we need to go back and figure out what is the right procedure, what is the right criteria, what are the things that need to be accomplished, and there are entire ministries that have been built on advertising the idea that they know what the criteria is, and they will help you be sure that you meet the criteria so that God will do whatever you ask. This is a real part of Christianity. There are a lot of people. Who believe in these kinds of things? Who support these kinds of things? With the hope, the expectation, the promise that they are going to get their prayers answered, and eventually they find out it doesn't work out. And the hope is of the ministries that teach these kinds of things, the hope of the pastor or the minister who presents this kind of content is that they will find a new person. A new person who will believe and who will support, who will give them money, before these other people find out that they're not going to get whatever they ask for, and these ministries will continue as long as they can find a new person who will believe that maybe these people know exactly how they're going to make this work. As an example, go back up to verse twelve. He who believes in me. Well, here we have an opportunity. To define some criteria, if you believe, and we can go to some other passages in the scriptures. If you will believe, then you will move mountains. You will say, "Mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be done." If you will believe, you will ask God to perform a healing, and He will do it. If you believe. And so this becomes the criteria that people will establish. They will say, "Well, the criteria is 
that you have to believe that God will do this, that he will heal this person or heal yourself if you will just believe that he will do that. And there are people who will hang on to this belief until they are dead. They will. For many reasons, sometimes because they genuinely want to believe that this is the truth. Sometimes it has to do with their pride, and they don't want to admit that maybe they believe something that isn't true. Their pride will get in the way. It just kind of depends on the person. But this is a criteria. This is something that people will look at and they will say that it has to do with your belief. And this is convenient for a lot of ministers, for a lot of ministries, because they can say that if you don't get what you ask for, well, it's your fault. It's all on you. It's because you fail to believe. It's not because they taught something that wasn't true. It was because of you. You're the problem, so go away. We'll wait until the next person comes up, or there will be a lot of other people waiting in line. And that's how you will be remembered. You will be remembered as one of those people who just didn't believe enough or in the right way. Or maybe you had some secret sin that you were hanging on to and you wouldn't confess. There are lots of things that people will come up with in order to justify their position and in order to say that they were not wrong, but it's all on you. Now, of course, there is some truth to this, because if we don't really believe that God would respond to our prayer, if we don't believe that God will do what we ask, well, then we wouldn't even bother to ask. And so there is some truth that is found there, that at least we have to believe something. We have to believe to some degree But what people will do is they will say, well, you're not believing enough or you're not believing absolutely. And from my point of view, you just need to believe a little. Jesus described this a little bit when he was talking about having the faith of a mustard seed. It's not about how much you believe. It's not really about how much faith you have. It's about how great of a God you have. That's what really matters. Do you have a great God? Not do you have great faith or do you have great belief. If you will just believe enough to even ask, well, that's it. That's the relationship. Now you are relating to God. The issue is that you're asking anything at all. That's a reasonable measure of belief. So, of course, there is some truth to that. I just don't think that people are using that truth in the way that God intended. There are other things that we could perhaps identify, such as in his name, in verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, if you do that, then he will do it. So we could look at that and say, well, there can be some criteria found by determining what does it mean in his name? What does that mean? And we can come up with some better definitions for what that means. In his name, does that mean perhaps in his desire? We'll see that later in the next two chapters, that there can be some truth found there, that to be in his name, it has to do with in his desire or in his interest. Or in his name could just simply mean that we are saved, that we are truly his representatives, that we are in Christ. If we are in Christ Jesus, then we can ask something of God in his name, and he will do it. 
But then there is another opportunity for a distortion or a problem, such as if God does not do what you asked, well, then that could be a way of recognizing that maybe you are not really in him. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you're not really in Christ. Because if you were, then you could ask something in his name and he would do it, but he didn't do it. So maybe this means that you're not really a Christian. This is what people will do. People do this, which I think is definitely inappropriate. So it can really depend on how you define what it means to ask in his name. Quite often people will end their prayers in this way, in Jesus' name. I have made this petition. I have asked these things in prayer. I do that. I don't have a problem with that. But people will define this in different ways. I personally have my own definition of what this means when I ask something in his name. To me, this simply means that I am asking something of God and that I would not have any relationship with God at all if it wasn't for what he did through the Lord Jesus. If he didn't provide me with forgiveness, then of course there is no opportunity for a healthy relationship between God and I because the sin issue has not been resolved. And so this is one of the ways to define what it means to ask something in his name, to ask something with the recognition that I am saved, that I am a child of God, that I am a new creation, that I do have a relationship with God because of what he did for me, that in his name, and what that means is because of what he has done, God and I have this connection We have this relationship, and this is how our relationship is going to be represented in this context. I'm going to ask something of God. I am asking in his name. This is a reasonable definition of what this means. And if he responds, it will be because of this well-defined relationship that we have according to the gospel. This is a way of understanding this kind of criteria. There is more that we can look at. For example, that God may be glorified. If you look at the end of verse 13, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, he will do whatever we ask so that he may be glorified. But if he will not be glorified through doing what we ask him to do, well, then we could say that this is criteria, that God will decide not to do what we ask because if he does, he's not going to be glorified. Or we could say that this is a glorified word for he will not be known. He's not going to be known if he does this. Or, as I described earlier, he could be known in a way that he doesn't want to be known. And so when we ask things of him, there is an understanding that we don't want him to do things that are going to be against his interests. We don't want him to do things that will result in consequences that will be contrary to the objectives that God has. We don't want him to do those kinds of things. So we could say that the criteria for him doing things includes he's going to do things that will 
reveal more about who he is, that he will do things that will help people have a more correct understanding of who he is. We can have a high degree of confidence that this is true and that this would be reasonable criteria. So these are things that we can keep in mind and we can use in order to understand a little bit more about what Jesus may have intended to say, what he was really offering, and why. There is other criteria which I think we should pay attention to. Obedience. For example, if you continue into verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. For him to then follow up what he just said with, If you love me, keep my commandments. This could present some criteria that we could include into this discussion. We could say that the criteria is that we are obedient to God, that we keep his commandments. We can ask anything we want if we keep his commandments. Now, there is some truth to this in the context of the Old Covenant, that if we are fully, completely obedient to the commandments of God, then he will bless us. He will bless us in return. That is part of the Old Covenant. But what we also know about this is that we will never comply with the demands of the law to the satisfaction of God so that he will bless us. We will never obey enough. We will never be perfect enough. And so we could include this as part of the criteria of asking him whatever we want, and he will do it. Well, there's a little bit more to it than just that. We also need to be obedient to God. And this would make sense, because if we were perfect as God, well, then we would be the equivalent of God, and of course God will do whatever we ask him to do, because We are God ourselves, in a sense, in that way. We are God in the sense that we are perfect. We are completely and fully obedient to all of the commandments. And so, of course, he'll do whatever we ask him to do, because we have asserted that we are just as good, we are the same as God, as is illustrated by our perfect obedience to the commandments. We know that this is true in accordance with the law, in accordance with the Old Covenant, in accordance with what Jesus said previously to the people. We could include this as part of the conversation about this subject. Being in such proximity, verse 15 being right after verse 14, we could suggest that this is part of the criteria. It is reasonable to do this. But in the midst of these kinds of conversations talking about the criteria, talking about the requirements, it is important for us to remember that the objective is not to figure out how to get God to do what we ask. The real objective is that God may be glorified, God may be revealed. What this means is that God may be known. Do not lose sight of the real objective that you may know your God. Now, in this program, I've spent a lot of time talking about the subject of criteria, the idea that in order for us to get whatever we ask of God, we probably need to meet some conditions of some kind. And the reason why this appears to be the case is that if you do ask him to do anything, 
you'll probably notice that it doesn't seem to happen. In general, it doesn't happen. And so if that's the case, then there must be some criteria, something else that we must do in addition to just asking him in order to get him to respond in the way that we want him to respond. But we don't have enough to go on in order to be able to determine this, which means that this is open-ended, that our God did not give us the criteria that he may require, He did not give us the instructions, the procedures, those things that we need to be sure that we do in order for him to respond as we desire. Now, what this does is this provides him with an opportunity to say no. It gives him the freedom to not do whatever we ask of him. And this is important because the relationship that he has defined for us is a relationship such that he is our God And we are his people. If he did not have the freedom to be able to decide if he was going to do whatever we asked or not, then those roles would be reversed. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 78th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus encouraged his disciples to ask God to do things for them, and that whatever they would ask, he would do. And in this program, I was explaining that when you do that, you will probably discover that he doesn't just do whatever you ask him to do. What this means is, is that there is either criteria that we must meet, and I spent time in this program explaining that there really is no way for us to define any criteria that may or may not exist. The important thing is to just simply recognize that God is going to have to reveal some more to us on this subject. And that is what I will continue with in the next program, that this is not all that Jesus had to say about asking God to do something for us. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net